Today, I want to start off with a question, all right? Here's a question. How would you describe your family in one word? All right, one word. Think about it. What's your one word? Uh, some of you go, oh, that's easy, preacher. Chaotic, all right? That might, this time of year, that may be it. Man, we're going everywhere, multiple different directions. We're going to 1,800 uh, graduation parties. I mean, it's chaotic at our house. Uh, that may be true. Some of you may say, um, you know, fun or celebrative, you know, or joyful. There may be lots of uh, positive words that you might use to describe your one word. Uh, some of you might be a little honest and say, you know, um, maybe distant, um, maybe mechanical. We're just kind of going through the motions, uh, not really what where we want to be. Uh, some of you may have other words. Here, this is a great little exercise for you to do around lunch today. What's your one word? Unless you think it's going to start a fight, all right? Then don't, don't do the exercise, all right? But, uh, but it's good to think about. I think there is one word, though, that we would all want to describe our family. And that is the word peaceful. You know, we want to be at peace, right? We want to be at peace in our own heart. We want to be at peace in our walk with God. And we certainly want to be at peace with the people that we love in our life. And, and that's why we're doing this series. We're actually looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, as kind of a roadmap for what healthy relationships look like. In fact, let's just uh, look at this scripture together. We'll put it up back up on the screen here. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Uh, let's just read this out loud together, shall we? All right, loud enough for the person next to you to hear you, okay? Here we go. The fruit of the Spirit is love. faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Good job. Give yourselves a hand. You did a great job. Uh, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, whatever. Uh, but yeah, this is the roadmap for healthy relationships. And these are the choices that we make. That's why this series is called I Choose Us. We said that your relationships are are a result of the choices that you make. Are you choosing love? Are you choosing joy? Today, we're going to talk about choosing peace. And what does it look like uh, to choose peace? You know, um, people can tell that you're at peace the minute they walk in your home, right? You can tell. You walk into somebody's home, you can tell, okay, is this a peaceful place or is this a, a place of tension? I remember years and years ago when our girls were little, uh, a, a late young mom came over to our house and they, Liz and her were trading clothes while girls about grow some and she would pass them on to there. And the woman came, came, kind of came in and she was a little flustered and she was probably in our house about five minutes and she stopped. She said, it is so peaceful here. Is it always so peaceful around here? I've never forgotten that because it, for her, it was, it was a stark contrast to what she was living in. Now, I, I will say our home is not always super peaceful. You know, there was a time, especially early on in our marriage, when we married super young, we were very selfish, we were very immature, and it was very chaotic at our house. But God really taught us how to live in peace. And that's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for all of us to live at peace. Is your home a home of peace? Is it a place of peace? Um, you know, the opposite of peace is what we would call strife. 
In fact, this picture is kind of an image of that. Maybe this is where you are right now in your home. You're together, but you're not face to face. You're back to back. There's strife in your home. And the Bible says a lot about strife. For example, in Proverbs 20 verse 3, it says, It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Proverbs 29, 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife and the one given to anger causes much transgression. You know, strife can be seen in a lot of different ways, experienced in a lot of different ways. Uh, there's a tension in the room. Uh, there's an angry undercurrent. There's a sense of resentment that often is just below the surface. There are hurt feelings and conflict and arguments and name calling and door slamming and the rest. That's strife. And listen, I believe that Satan wants to stir up strife in your home. I believe he wants that. In fact, in, he, in Ephesians 4, it says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold or don't give the devil an opportunity. See, he wants to stir up division and strife in our home. But God is not a God of strife. He's a God of peace. And God wants your home to be a place of peace. And your marriage and your relationships to be a place of peace. So how do we get to peace? If there's a lot of strife right now in your home, how do you get to a place of peace? And that's what we're talking about today. So I want you to uh, turn in your Bible, get your Bible out, and I want you to open it up with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, where we're going to look at how to get to a place of peace, okay? And as you're turning there, let me just remind you that the Romans were not living in really peaceful conditions. The church at Rome, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and they were under a tremendous amount of pressure. The Christians there were being persecuted. Christians there were being uh, mistreated and abused. It was a very hostile and violent culture that they were living in. And so Paul is writing to them to tell them that even though you live in an environment of hostility and strife, that you can pursue peace. You can experience peace. Peace that this world can never fully have. And at the end of Romans 12, verses 9 through, I think, 21, he, he goes through 27 character qualities or things that we, we should be pursuing. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to cover all 27 uh, this morning, okay? But I am going to hit three. And so we're going to dive in to Romans uh, 12, and we're going to start at verse 16 as we look to how we can find peace, all right? So let's look at it together. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 16. And this is the word of God. Amen? Amen? Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, live room, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. 
Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you, God, that you want us to live in a place of peace. Lord, I pray that you would open up your, your word now today. Lord, apply it to our hearts and our homes can be a place of peace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just look at that very first uh, line of this passage. He says, live in harmony. Verse 16, live in harmony with everyone. Uh, literally, it means to have the same mind with one another, to think the, think the same thoughts, uh, to, to have the same, to want the same things, to have the same things in mind. Literally, it means to kind of think about other people more than you think about yourself. That's the idea of living in harmony with one another. And, and many times, harmony is hard to get to. Harmony takes work in a relationship, right? To think about others and to, and to, to come together at, when we tend to drift apart. So I'm going to give you an illustration. Hopefully you'll never forget when it talks about harmony, okay? So I'm going to ask John Mark to come back out. John Mark, come back out. All right, there he comes from the darkness, from the cave back there. And uh, John Mark, here's what I want you to do. I want you to play on the keyboard two notes that are, are two keys that are right next to each other. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so these are two keys. They exist side by side on the keyboard, but they're not in harmony. They are in dissonance, right? They're just grating against one another even though they're side by side. And that's what a lot of people experience in their families or in their relationships. Man, we're together, we're physically in the room, we're physically in the house together, but there is no harmony, just dis dissonance. Now, here's what I want you to understand. That if he just moves one finger, he can move from dissonance to harmony. Watch, it, watch his fingers. Now those two fingers were next to each other. One has moved now to a place of harmony. See? You can make a move, even if the other person doesn't, that can move toward harmony in your home. And by the way, harmony is what music is made of, right? Harmony is the basis, the foundation that you have music and joy in your family. And that's what God wants for you. He wants you to have harmony, to live in harmony with one another. But it's going to require you to make some moves. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul is going to show us three moves you can begin to make, regardless of what other people do, to begin to live in harmony with one another. Are you ready to get to it? All right. Uh, let's thank John Mark for uh, his illustration. Good job, buddy. All right. He does not get paid overtime for that, folks. Anyway. All right, here are three moves. Move number one, write this down, exhibit humility. Exhibit humility. Look at verse 16. Do not be proud, instead associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. It's interesting, the word proud there is actually not in the Greek and not in the original language. R originally, the way it translates is this, do not be high-minded. Don't be high-minded. Don't, don't just think about your things and your goals and your dreams and what you're going to accomplish and what you're going to achieve and what you want. And, and, and instead, uh, that's why they translate it proud. Don't be high-minded. Don't just focus on what you want. Instead, think about one another. Remember, that's what he said. Live in harmony. Think, have the same mind. Think about others more than you think about yourself. And really what Paul is doing is he's contrasting a mindset. 
He's talking about thinking, right? Think of this way. And, and he's contrasting a mindset that is proud or thinking about themselves and a mindset that is humble that is thinking about other people. That's what he's talking about. Associate with the humble, he says. That could mean to associate with humble people so that you become like them. Or it may mean to associate with humble things, to do things that put yourself in a place of humility and service uh, to others. But here he's clearly talking about a mindset or an attitude. You know, there are some people that are just me-focused people. Would you agree with that? You ever met people like that? They're just, it's just all about them. I have a friend of mine that just had an encounter with a guy like that at work this week. And he said, man, I, within the first two minutes, the guy was telling me how much money he makes, how many properties he owns, you know, what kind of car he drives. And he said, no one was asking him any of those things. This guy was just volunteering all this information in the first two minutes. He said, when he finally left, he, my friend said, I felt like I needed a shower. All right. Because this guy was just constantly about himself. Now, Paul contrasts that with the humble person. The humble person doesn't, humility doesn't mean you think bad about yourself or you talk down about yourself. It just means you don't think that much about yourself because you're thinking about other people. You're thinking about others. For example, think about, uh, let's say somebody comes up to you and they said, man, I, you say, how was your day? And you say, oh, it was terrible. In fact, I think I've had the worst day of my life. Man, I, I, I got up, I, I kind of felt sick, and, and, and so I kind of got through that, and then I went to work, and, and terrible things happened at work, and then my car broke down on the way home today. I mean, it's just been one tragic thing after another. It's been a terrible day. Now, the self-focused person, the me-focused person would say, well, you think your day was bad. Let me tell you how my day was. It was worse than yours. You know, and you go on to tell you how bad your day is and how you've had to go through. And yeah, you don't have anything to complain about. You didn't have my day. That would be the, <laughs> the self-person, uh, the me-focused person. The others-focused person would say, oh, man, I'm so, I'm so sorry you had such a terrible day. That sounds awful. Man, I'm so sorry you went through that. How can I help? How can I pray for you? What can I do to help ease your load? See the difference? Me focused and others focused. And what Paul is saying here right off the bat in verse 16, don't be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. He's saying don't think about yourself. Think about others first. Another way to say it is this. To live at peace in your relationship means that you're going to have to die to your need to be right. You're going to have to die to your need to have it your own way. You're going to have to die to your own selfishness to admit that that's really what's causing the problem. Are you a me-focused person or an others-focused person? Do you have to be right? Do you have to be the center of attention? Does it have to be your way? Do you get irritated and angry if things don't go the way you want them to go? The first thing we have to do if we want harmony is for myself, for me to choose to exhibit humility with my spouse, with my friends, with my family. To exhibit a posture of humility that's others focused and not me focused. The second uh, move you can make to bring harmony in your home is to extend grace. Extend grace. Jot that down. 
Verse 17, he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Now you might want to circle that, that phrase, do not repay. In other words, don't retaliate. Don't act in a, an avenging way. Think about somebody outside your home, somebody at work or somebody at school that has uh, mistreated you or lied to you or, or stabbed you in the back on a deal or, or is, has berated you or talked down to you. He said, don't avenge yourself. Don't get them back. Don't fixate on how you're going to make them pay. The Romans were experiencing this on a daily basis. People that were hurting them. People that were oppressing them. People that were cursing them. He said, don't be eaten up with a desire for vengeance. Now, think about it in your own family. In your own family, someone has abandoned you. Somebody mistreated you. Somebody doesn't appreciate you or doesn't pay attention to you or doesn't show you the affection that you want. You know, it's so easy to get in this mindset that you hurt me and I'm going to hurt you. you you're going to feel what I feel. You're going to understand how much this hurts. I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to make you pay. But think about that. If we constantly are always trying to repay people that hurt us, then you'll never get to a place of peace, right? Because you'll be hurting someone and they'll be repaying you by hurting you back and you'll be repaying them by hurting them back and you're just, you're never gonna get to a place of peace. It's like I, I have this little uh, fire pit thing in my backyard. It's a little thing called a solo stove. You know what those things are? And uh, you just put wood in there and, and many times, we'll, I love to do that at night. I'll, I'll put some logs in there and fire it up and, and over a course of time, it will start to die down and when it starts to die down, then I have to do something about that. And so I'll, uh, I'll, get, uh, I'll get this stick or maybe I'll get a poker and I'll start, I'll start stoking the fire to get it growing again. And if I can't do that, then I'll pour a little uh, stuff on there, you know. <laughs> you know, here, here it goes. Yeah? And, and listen, that's exactly what you are doing when you're constantly having to repay or get back. Or you're going to hurt the way I did. All you're doing is you're squirting gasoline on the fire. You're stoking it. It's conflict and strife is growing in your home. That's why Paul said, hey, don't repay anyone evil for evil. And friends, uh, look at verse 19. He's basically saying the same thing. Just run down to verse 19. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. You see what he's saying? He's like, vengeance is not your job. That's my job. Your job is not to avenge yourself, to make them pay. He said, listen, I am God. I am just. I will repay. In fact, that is a promise. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. I was thinking about that this week. When I was uh, in my just daily reading, I was in 2 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel, it's a really sad picture in the life of King David. Because King David is in his old age now. And his son Absalom is trying to kill him and to take the throne. And at one point it gets so bad that King David has to flee Jerusalem and hide in the caves and in the ravines to avoid being overtaken by his son Absalom. And so David is leaving the city. He has his men with him to protect him. But he is, he is distraught. 
He's an old man. He's distraught uh, that his own son is trying to seek his life. But there is a man that comes to him that begins to curse him. This man starts throwing stones at David and, and kicking up the dirt and cursing him and saying, you're getting what you deserve because of all the terrible things that you've done. Finally, God's getting you back. And this man goes on and on and on. One of David's right-hand soldiers looks at David and says, David, please let me remove his head from his shoulders. Please, just say the word and I will take care of this guy. And David says, no, no, no. He said, perhaps the Lord will see my suffering and he will bless me in the future. See, David didn't retaliate. He could have easily with a word, but he chose not to retaliate. Let me ask you something. How do you respond when somebody throws stones at you? When, when somebody makes a, a a sharp comment at home or a, or a cutting attitude. Do you repay? Do you shoot back? Do you retaliate? That's what he's saying here. Don't do that. Listen, I am God. I will take care of these things. Uh, don't, don't, don't isolate those people. Don't cut them off. Don't retaliate verbally. Now listen, here, let me make a very important statement here. There's some of you that have faced uh, serious physical abuse in your home. And um, it has been a tragic experience for you. I want you to know that this is a place of healing and this is a place of peace for you. And we know that only God can fully heal you. So what I'm talking about in, in this regard of not retaliating, I, I'm, I'm talking about just the day-to-day -day conversations. But I do know that there are some times when serious things happen at home that you have to leave and you have to find a place of safety. And only then can you ever seek restoration of any kind and healing of any kind. But here what he's talking about is in the course of daily living, don't retaliate. In fact, look at verse 20. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Notice what he's saying, instead of retaliating, what you need to do is bless that person. You know what this is called when you deserve, somebody deserves punishment and you give them something good? You know what that's called? There's a biblical term for that. It's called grace. Grace is undeserved favor. And what Paul is saying is instead of being known as a people that retaliate and hurt back and hit back, you need to be known as a person of grace that extends grace and blessing to people around you. In fact, this is what Jesus told us to do. In Matthew 5, verse 43, he said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So instead of retaliating, we bless. When somebody says something snarky, you know, you don't retaliate back. Uh, you just love them better. You bless them and encourage them and lift them up. In fact, um, he goes on to say, when you do this, you're going to heap hot coals on their head. Now, what in the world does that mean? Uh, I've done a lot of deep, intensive study. Uh, I have uh, probably... Uh, pulled out about six different options for you of what this means. But at the end of the day, we really don't know. What I do know is that he's actually quoting Proverbs. 
He's quoting Proverbs 25, verse 21 and 22, which says this exact thing. That's why in most of your Bibles, that quotation is indented and bolded because he's actually quoting from the Old Testament. Now, basically, the two options, I'll boil them all down to you, two options of what these hot coals on their head mean. It either means that when you do these good things, it brings that person to penance. There was some idea that, that people that were repentant back in those days would put coals in this bowl and they would kind of carry it over their head. I, I don't know. We don't have any biblical evidence for that. But the idea is it could lead that person to feeling badly about how they're treating you and bring them to repentance because not, you're not retaliating. You're blessing them even when they deserve uh, something worse. But in the context here, and in other passages, hot coals on someone's head is a sign of judgment. And I think God is speaking about judgment here. And basically what he's saying is this. Listen, my job is to judge them, and I will. But your job is to bless. Your job is to extend grace. Just as I've shown you grace, you're to extend grace to others. So let me talk, ask you, let's talk about your family. Are you being humble? Are you not demanding your own way? Are you not thinking that your way is the right way? Are you not acting like you're the smartest person in the room? Are you quick to defer to others and be others focused? Are you quick to extend grace and forgiveness to those that hurt you or mistreat you? People that say harsh things to you, are you quick to extend grace and mercy toward them? That's what he's saying here. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs and love doesn't retaliate. And then the last thing you can do to find harmony, the last move you can make to find harmony is simply to express honor. Look back up at verse 17. He says, give careful thought to do what is honorable in the eyes of everyone. Almost every time that I teach on relationships, I get to this one topic of honor. I say it over and over and over and over again because I truly believe that honor is the single most important uh, attribute for healthy relationships. To honor someone simply means to prize that person as something valuable and uh, of tremendous worth. There was a man that was written up in the New York Times and he was a, a man who worked in a, an equipment factory. And he needed uh, something to cover a hole in his wall. So he found uh, at a garage sale a, a painting that he thought would do the trick just fine. And so he bought the painting and put it up on his wall. In fact, the painting looked like this. Sometime later, he was playing a game called uh, The Masterpiece, and uh, it showed famous pictures of famous paintings, and he saw one that looked just like this. Uh, the, one, the, the one that he saw was called Magnolias on Gold Velvet, painted by Martin um, Heed. And uh, sure enough, he, he took this painting in to be assessed, and it was worth $1.2 million. That painting right there. Painting he paid 30 bucks for, the painting he only wanted to cover a hole in his wall was actually priceless. Now listen, a lot of times we can treat people like that. Your spouse is priceless. Your children are priceless. That, that friendship is priceless. 
But many times we don't treat them that way. We say things that hurt. We react in ways that demean. And listen, whenever you are critical and negative and fault-finding toward that person, what you're doing is instead of lifting them up and saying, man, you are so valuable. You're so worth everything. I mean, God made you the way you are. I love you so much. Instead of saying that, what you're really saying is, you know what? You're not really worth much at all. What a tragedy. He said, do your best to do what is honorable in the eyes of everyone. Lift people up. Don't bring them down. Tell them how much they mean to you, not how many mistakes they, they make. In fact, in, in look up to verse 10, he says this again. Outdo one another in showing honor. Man, make it a game. Make it a competition. Man, you're great. No, you're great. No, you're fantastic. No, you're fantastic. Just try that this afternoon, all right? How many times you can say you're amazing and see what happens to the attitude uh, in your home. Honor is the single most important principle for healthy relationships. And when you honor, you have peace. And when you dishonor, you have strife. So here's Paul talking about how to live in harmony. You're in dissonance. Remember the piano? You're in dissonance with one another. You're living together, but you're not in harmony with one another. What do you have to do? You have to make a move. Well, why does it have to be me? Why can't it be that person that makes a move? Because you have to make the choices for yourself to live in harmony. You can't wait for somebody else to do it. You have to make the moves. You have to choose to exhibit humility and not have to have it your own way and defer to others and be focused on them and not yourself. You have to choose to extend grace when somebody says something hurtful to you to extend grace and forgiveness and to bless them and do good for them. And you have to choose to express honor and show them how much they're worth. You know what? When I think about those three things, I think about what Jesus did for us. Did he not do that? Did he not humble himself when he came? Did he not extend grace through the cross, paying the penalty for our sin and offering you the grace of forgiveness and restoration? Doesn't he lift us up, anyone who comes to him in faith? See, this is really the heart of the gospel. When you live this way, you're living out the gospel in your home. So, is your home a place of peace and harmony? It can be, but it's your move. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. And when you take a minute just to pray for your relationships right now. And I want you to ask God to show you what you need to do, what moves you need to make to make things better at home. to extend grace maybe to ask forgiveness because you do demand your own way maybe it's that you need to build people up more and not tearing them down more just ask the Lord what he's saying to you right now Father, I thank you so much for your 
grace and your kindness to us. Lord, I thank you that you are the God of peace and when you are in the center of our home, that our home becomes a place of peace. And Lord, we just acknowledge that many times we're living together but we're in dissonance. We're not in harmony. So Lord, I pray that you would show us this week what we can do to put this into practice. To choose, to make these choices, to choose peace by choosing to humble ourselves or, or choosing to not retaliate or to have such a quick temper. To choose to lift people up and build them up around us. Lord Jesus, we recognize the fact that we can't do this on our own. That's why only your Holy Spirit can produce this kind of peace in us. And Lord Jesus, that's why you came. So we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you that you come to live within us through faith and that by your spirit, you can and you will produce peace in our home when we walk as you walked and live as you lived and as we follow your example. So Lord, fill us and use us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.